if your periods are irregular and if you're not planning for pregnancy or anything in near future then we need to look at quite often hormonal tablets is a really good option Welcome to Full Circle Women's Health Podcast, a podcast aimed at empowering women to better understand and manage their health. I'm Dominique Baum, a women's health GP, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Preetam Ganu, gynecologist at Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology. Welcome to Full Circle Family. Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology is a specialized women's health practice in South Australia, which provides holistic care to women and girls of all ages and backgrounds in all seasons of life. So in last episode, Dominic, we discussed about possible causes of heavy menstrual bleeding and we suggested that if women are suffering with the heavy periods which are affecting their day-to-day life, they need to come and see their doctor. So with this episode, I was just suggesting if we imagine that I'm a patient Mm. and I'm coming to you to see because of my heavy periods, uh, what would be the first line of things usually women's health GP will do? Well, the first thing to think about is the lady sitting in front of me. So your age will really make me think of different possibilities. And so one of the things that I'd be really interested in finding out is if there's any chance of pregnancy. So we'd usually do in the room a urine test for pregnancy because, of course, if a woman is pregnant and having bleeding, that leads to a very different pathway of investigations than if a woman is having non-pregnancy related bleeding. So let's say I've done my urine test and you're not (laughs) pregnant and and I think, you know, you're relieved about that because it's not something you've been planning. And so then I'll chat to you a bit more about, you know, how long this has been going on for, how much it's affecting your life, if you're having any bleeding in between periods or after sex, or if this is something that has started postmenopausally. So again, looking for those red flags that we talked a bit about last week. Mm -hmm. Let's say that, you know, you're not postmenopausal, which... It helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think that you are free term, but so let's say you've had heavy periods building for three or four months. Is that right, free term? Yeah. So like, let's say that previously my menstrual periods were like a clockwork or maybe I was in the contraceptive pills and didn't have any problems, but I stopped contraceptive pills one year back to change my lifestyle and then getting really heavy periods. It's affecting my life so much that I'm like sort of, a, if I do any work, I feel really tired. I'm not able to do my regular exercise mm. or sometimes I'm not able to sleep and other symptoms. Yeah. Mm. So definitely it sounds like it's having a big impact on you. So we should be looking for some causes and, and looking for some consequences. So I'll be organising some blood tests to check your thyroid, blood tests to check your iron levels. At the same time, might do some hormone checks to, you know, if there's any suggestion of something like polycystic ovarian syndrome, which has become apparent now that you've stopped the pill. Whilst you're in the room, I'd like to do a pap smear and do some swabs just to rule out infections such as chlamydia or gonorrhea, which can be a cause of some problematic bleeding and and has quite a different treatment. And then we should be organising a pelvic ultrasound and with an internal scan, meaning a transvaginal scan, so that we can have a good look at the lining of the uterus and see are there any little polyps or is there a fibroid or a few fibroids which might be causing this? or maybe something like adenomyosis, which is that lining growing into the muscle that we've mentioned, and as well as having a look at the ovaries at the same time for possibly some ovulation-related issues. So usually, like if all the investigations are normal, I think quite often the heavy bleeding can be managed by women's health GPs mm-hmm. with the first-line management. So like starting with the Ponston, which is anti-inflammatory medication available over-the-counter, 
which women can take one tablet three times a day with the food if they have no allergies or any other medical condition that can be useful or tranexamic acid as we described in last episode can be helpful to decrease the amount of bleeding. Mm, that's right. So both of those are really simple steps which a woman can take just during her period because sometimes women don't want to have to take a hormonal medication or use something regularly. But they just want an option that might be able to help manage their bleeding when it does happen. Um, and particularly if they have predictable periods, so they're not irregular, something like Ponstan, which is an anti-inflammatory medication taken ideally from the day before your period starts. And then for those first few heavy days of your period, usually three times a day with a bit of food, as you said, that can lighten bleeding by up to 40%. And most women are really surprised to hear that not only does it help pain, but it can help that bleed, bleeding as well and blood loss. And then tranexamic acid is a medication which is designed specifically to help your blood clot uh, more effectively in the uterus. And that's a medication which can help by 50 or 60% by reducing blood loss. And usually women can take you know, two to three tablets three or four times a day for the first four days of their cycle. And that's a really simple step, which is safe for most women. And But of course, we would go through anything in that woman's particular background, which might mean that those were not options. So I find that quite often women really like constant antranexamic acid as a first option, because usually you need to take those tablets only around your period time mm. or during your period cycle. So if your periods are regular or predictable, as you mentioned, that's not a problem. But if your periods are irregular, and if you're not planning for pregnancy or anything in near future, then we need to look at quite often hormonal tablets is a really good option. Mm. And when we say hormonal tablet, I usually say that there are like a hundred different options. So we can find the tablet which suits women, but also have some non-contraceptive benefits, which can not only help with their heavy periods, but can also help with the acne or hair growth or other symptoms. Mm. Yeah. And so it sounds like what you're talking about is hormonal contraception, really, the contraceptive pill, of which there are so many, you're right, and we can try and individualise that. Um, and some women, it might not be appropriate to take the pill. And so there are other hormonal contraceptives which can be really effective, particularly for bleeding control. And probably the most effective would be the Marina IUD, intrauterine device, which is a little umbrella device which is inserted into the uterus. And with a small procedure, a bit like a pap smear procedure, and it's set and forget for five years. Or for women who are over 45, it can be set and forget for up to seven years. And it's a really effective way of managing heavy bleeding. And most women get very light spotting and some women stop having periods at all. Um, and so for some women, that's a real pro mm -hmm. to yeah, that medication. Definitely. So like, as you rightly mentioned, that when we talk about the hormonal treatment, there are many different options. But if women are not planning for pregnancy, Mirena is a really good option. And NICE guidelines, which we mentioned last time, they consider Mirena as a first line of management because it reduces amount of bleeding very significantly. Mm -hmm. So Mirena, which is like a T-shaped device with the progesterone hormone on its team, was initially developed for contraception. But when they realized it stops bleeding in about 50 to 60% patient and lightens in another 20, 30% patient, it was used as a first line of treatment of mm. heavy menstrual bleeding. But again, just going back, it depends on the which age group women is and what they want to achieve or what their goals are and how much is the blood loss and how much it is affecting their day-to-day -day life. If blood loss is not too bad and can be managed with the simple medications and the lifestyle changes or whatever causative factor 
is and we, like uh, related to abnormal thyroid function or other risk factors if we can treat it that would be the first line mm. but the next line of thing would be more of a hormonal treatment so mirena is really effective but uh, it depends on their age and the, how much is the bleeding and what their goals are uh, whether they want to plan for pregnancy or what if they don't want to plan for pregnancy but in patients where the bleeding is not that heavy first line treatment like ponstan and tranexamic acid along with the lifestyle changes is sufficient if there is any specific cause like they are on the blood thinning medications within to or need to have a hematological input we need to manage depending on what the cause is and we can treat that but at the majority of group which we discussed in last episode about the ovulatory dysfunction the hormonal contraceptive options is quite convenient and quite effective mm. and has got many different choices mm. and and some women who don't need or don't want contraception or some women are a bit wary about an IUD insertion might want to avoid that and go for more for a tablet there are other hormonal tablets that we can prescribe as doctors to try to at least give a bit more of a regular pattern so if a woman is having really unpredictable bleeding and doesn't want to go down the track of having an IUD inserted with the marina sometimes we can use a medication like progesterone tablet which a woman will take for say you know 21 days of the month so that that will suppress the bleeding in that time she won't get any bleeding and then when she stops those tablets she'll have a planned bleed that she could then use ponstan or tranexamic acid at that time so at least she knows when it's going to happen generally that's not something that I would recommend for patients to do for you know more than 3 to 6 months it might be as a bit of a bridge whilst I'm also mm-hmm. organizing maybe a gynecology review yeah and some women will obviously need more input from a gynecologist so say yeah. an ultrasound has shown really large fibroids that's something which i would generally refer for an opinion particularly if she's already tried some of those more simple measures or the fibroids going to make putting a marina in too difficult and then i'll be referring to you pretam as a gynecologist for a bit of advice about some surgical management options as a possibility. Yeah. Do you want to talk through some of those? Yes, definitely. So last episode we talked about structural and non-structural causes and non-structural causes quite often we can treat with the medication management mm. but with the structural causes we quite often need a surgical management and we highlighted some red flags last time where we need to investigate so if someone has having postmenopausal bleeding where out of 100 to 3% patients can have a chance of malignancy or if someone had an ultrasound scan which is showing quite thick lining or polyp or big fibroids they definitely need to come to see a gynecologist gynecologist again will go quite detail in history about their symptoms and their like a uh, life goals and where they are and what's the best treatment for but if we look at like uh, just as an overview if someone has a thick endometrium the first line of management for the further investigation would be to take a biopsy from that lining biopsy can be done in the gynecologist office mm-hmm. so it is a little bit more than the pap smear which we call as endometrial pipel biopsy which is like a thin tube and with the suction force it can collect some cells from around the lining of the uterus only problem is it can be sometimes a little bit painful so patient can get bit cramps and sometimes it is not very accurate mm. i guess so, you can only reach a certain amount through that small keyhole of the yeah. the cervix so we say it would be accurate in about 30% patients so mm. those who are not suitable to have surgery at all because of the risk for anesthesia or something uh, then we would look at doing endometrial biopsy in the rooms 
otherwise gold standard is to go for a procedure which we call as a hysteroscopy and endometrial biopsy hysteroscopy like patient do a lot of colonoscopies and other procedures it is very simply hystero is like a uterus and scope is having a look so it's the procedure to have a look inside the uterus which is called as a hysteroscopy it can be done without anesthesia but in majority of places in south australia we do it under anesthesia mm -hmm. the procedure itself takes 10 15 minutes mm -hmm. so with anesthesia it may be about half an hour so we, even if we call it as a day surgery in practice it is just a half day procedure mm -hmm. And it can be done very quickly as well. The advantage with this procedure is we have a telescope-like thing which goes through your vagina, through your cervix, and we get a clear picture of what is inside. We can take some photos. We can see if there is any polyp or anything. And then there are new development in new, newer devices, which is something called as a myoshore, uh, where we, even if there is like a big polyp or big submucosal fibroid, we can shave that off make it gradual pieces and with this minimal invasive surgery we can take it out and send it to pathology to find out what's going on mm. or what is the exact cause similarly if women want to go ahead with the marina at the same time which can be easily done at the same time without going through pain usually recovery after hysteroscopy is quite quick as well so patient stays in hospital for a couple of hours then goes home they may have a bit of a cramps and bleeding for a couple of days but they are back to work next day or day mm. after and so it's quite a simple procedure but you can get so much helpful information and compared to an in the room biopsy with the papel that you mentioned in a hysteroscopy from what i understand Often you'll do a DNC mm. um, where you cur curette the whole of the uterus and send all of those cells off to the uh, lab to have a good look and make sure that we're not missing any abnormal cells which might be malignant. Um, and as you said, at the same time, you can have a marina put in and a woman's asleep so she doesn't have any discomfort associated with the insertion. So it might be a test and treat situation all at once. All at once, definitely. So it's a really useful, in, like helpful procedure. Similarly, if someone had other symptoms, like they have a symptom suggestive of endometriosis or something, at the same time, they can go for a laparoscopy or anything as well. But mainly for a postmenopausal bleeding or polyp or thick lining, hysteroscopy is first line of management. But if someone has, a, say, fibroids, which are, like as I mentioned, different types of fibroids, but fibroids which is causing very heavy bleeding. And if it is bulging inside the uterus, at the same time with the hysteroscopy, we can shave off the fibroid mm -hmm. and that can improve the fertility rate. But if someone wants to plan for pregnancy and if they have a multiple fibroid, that becomes like a very tricky situation because going for a surgery to remove fibroid, which we call as a myomectomy, in itself is a quite major operation. Mm. And when we talk about major operation, what it means is that the operation can take long time. There is an increased risk of bleeding. And also after operation, we are worried about things like uh, in, inside organs getting stuck together and affecting the pregnancy rate. So with the fibroid, before planning for pregnancy, we need to look at the bigger picture, that how big is the fibroid, where is the location of the fibroid. So some ultrasound places do a very specialized ultrasound scan, which can do a fibroid mapping. So they can actually mm -hmm. look at how much fibroid is bulging inside, how much is in the wall and how much is outside. So there is again, a Federation of Gynecology has a classification of the fibroids and we can look at that and decide what would be the best treatment. In some patients, if they're trying for pregnancy and fibroids are not too big, we don't need to do anything. So not necessarily mm -hmm. they need a myomectomy. We can just monitor or manage 
pregnancy related things with the other things and women can have a pregnancy with fibroids uh, it, it will be considered as a high risk pregnancy but it can be managed mm. and what about women who might and um, be past that point where they're thinking about pregnancy and might have finished their family planning but be troubled by heavy periods from large fibroids which might be too large to put a marina in I've had some patients see gynecologists who have recommended uh, like embolization for their mm-hmm. fibroids. Can you tell me a bit about that and, and when that might be appropriate? So, yes, there are some newer modalities. I won't say newer. It's been in practice for a long time, which is called as a uterine artery embolization. The newer modality is more of a MRI-guided or ultrasound-guided procedure. In Adelaide, it is not very readily available. So there are some places where there are specialized doctors where you specially need to request it and then you can do it. Usually, uterine artery embolization you recommend after they have finished their families mm-hmm. and they don't want to go for a hysterectomy. And again, the fibroids are not too big. But having said that, sometimes even after embolization, they may get ongoing bleeding or ongoing pain and may need to go for a hysterectomy again. Mm. So that's a little bit tricky part with the availability and success rate with this minimally advanced procedure. And I think the medicine is developing all the time, so there would be more and more research and more more other options. But another interesting option I would like to mention, which sometimes I'm surprised that patients don't know about, is endometrial ablation. Mm. So if someone is having very heavy periods and they don't want to go for a hormonal treatment like a Mirena, they have finished their families and they are not looking at the bigger procedure like a hysterectomy, then there is an option which is called as endometrial ablation. In simple words, what it means is we have a different technologies which help to burn the inner lining of the uterus. So each month when we are getting menstrual periods, the lining is growing to certain length and it is shared as a menstrual period. With this procedure, we keep lining so thin it goes to up to like a basal level that it doesn't grow again so there are different ways we can do this procedure again this is a surgical procedure so it is done under anesthesia it is considered as a minor procedure so similar like a hysteroscopy it can be done in the day surgery setting the technologies we use for this one have developed a lot over the years so previously we used to use something called as a resectoscope where with the medical diatomy we used to burn the lining of the uterus and that's why we say burn as a first thing it is Mm. not actually burning burning but making it light sort of thing or very thin nowadays there is another procedure called as a or equipment called as a caviterm which use the microwaves and it is designed in a way that it is like a shaped like a balloon sort of thing so when we put inside the uterus it is empty balloon and we fill up with the glucose solution so it takes the shape of the uterus and then we pass the microwaves at a it temperature yeah that warms up and that sort of a burns that in a line amazing and yeah. i've had several of my patients have endometrial ablation and it's been really life-changing for them definitely that's a great option is it as effective if there's a big fibroid which might be bulging into the cavity of the uterus so if someone has a a fibroid bulging inside the cavity if fibroid bulging inside the cavity is less than four centimeters we can do a procedure like a myosure where we shave off those fibroid bulging inside and then go for an endometrial ablation with a different technology, either caviterm or something called as a NovaSure. NovaSure is using a radio frequency waves to burn the inner lining of Mm. the uterus. So there are a few different ways we can do it and it can still be effective. Or if someone has a fibroid which is intramural or subserosal, so it is not 
possibly probably not causing that much uh, heavy bleeding we can go for endometrial ablation mm. and as you said some patient for some patient it is life changing only thing i need to highlight when patient is going for endometrial ablation is that the success rate of endometrial ablation is very similar like a mirena so what it means is initially you will get spotting bleeding for few weeks quite often women get lot of watery discharge immediately after procedure which is very common because of the uh, burning of those lining and after 6 weeks to 2 months their bleeding stops in about 40 to 50% patient mm. and in 20 30% patient they may get light period like bleeding and 10% may get still heavy bleeding but even if they don't get period endometrial ablation does not work as a contraception no that's really important yeah. but it's also not recommended to fall pregnant that's afterwards right. yeah because we have damaged the lining we don't want to get pregnant at all because mm. that would be very high risk for that women as mm. well as the baby so quite often if someone doesn't want any hormonal option when we talk about endometrial ablation we also talk about some permanent method of contraception like a tubal ligation which we can do at the same time mm. uh, or in some patients they choose going for endometrial ablation as well as mirena so mirena will work as a, a contraception along with the heavy bleeding mm. as well as providing a bit of a backup so that even if your lining did somehow start to grow back the mirena would be there to thin it out again mm. and so we've mentioned a few times hysterectomy pretam and that's something which was really common probably in our grandparents days much less common now as the first line treatment uh, but it is a still a very you know good option for management of troublesome periods particularly if women have perhaps tried some of those other methods and are still having problems um, and there's a couple of different types of hysterectomies which might sound strange but did you want to talk through yeah so definitely so in hysterectomy operation wise what we are talking about is taking out the uterus and cervix which we call as a total hysterectomy and as you rightly mentioned that before coming to australia so it's been like 16 years i'm in australia but before coming to australia i was gynecologist in india and if someone has a finished family and having heavy period treatment of choice would be hysterectomy and the advantage for patient would be they don't have to come back again they don't have to worry about malignancy and depending on the medical and social structure that was quite convenient at that time i think things may have changed now but in australia because there are many different options are available we usually keep it as a last option so mm-hmm. last option in a way to say that if the other treatments have failed so they have tried mirena or endometrial ablation and that's not working or if they have a really big fibroids or family history of cancer or other part- particular patients group of patients who need a hysterectomy who have a history of a breast cancer or they have a what we call as a BRCA1 or BRCA3 gene positive which predisposes them to other type of cancers like ovarian cancer then we talk about prophylactic hysterectomy mm. when we talk about hysterectomy uh, the way we do hysterectomy and what structures we remove there are different types of hysterectomy so removing uterus just only uterus and leaving cervix behind is called as a subtotal hysterectomy removing uterus cervix tubes and ovaries is more extensive hysterectomy or if someone 
is suspected to have a cancer, then not only we remove their uterus and cervix and ovaries, but also we look for lymph node, which is quite detailed hysterectomy. Similarly, the route of the or way we do it. So my preferred operation is usually keyhole surgery or what we call as a total laparoscopic hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. What it means is we have a small one centimeter cut at the belly button where we put camera in and we have other two or three half centimeter cut where we put other instrument in and remove all the attachments of the uterus and remove uterus from the vagina and have stitches at the top of the vagina. Mm -hmm. Other way of doing it is considered as a vaginal hysterectomy. So in this operation, there is no cuts on the tummy. This is more commonly done for those patients who have a prolapse or very small uterus sort of thing. And we do all the operation vaginally. Amazing. And remove all the attachments vaginally. Or another way of doing it is what we call as a total abdominal hysterectomy, which is similar to a cesarean section scar. So there is a cut on your tummy where we open the abdominal layers and remove all uterus, cervix, and the, if there is fibroids and things. Mm. So if there is a very large fibroid or if someone had a lot of previous surgeries and we think that laparoscopy is quite high risk, we need to go for an abdominal surgery. But because of the advances in the newer um, technologies, even if we go for a hysterectomy, nowadays the recovery is much better. So if we talk about like say laparoscopic hysterectomy, operation may take about three hours, but usually patient is up and above after the operation in few hours or by next day they can go home mm. and in a couple of weeks they can go back to work. Compared to abdominal hysterectomy, patient may need to stay in hospital for four or five days. And we generally recommend not to lift anything heavy for up to six weeks and then they can go back to work. And even if we have many different options, if someone said to me that I don't want to have bleeding at all, the 99% satisfaction that there is no bleeding, mm. then the hysterectomy is an option. Mm. Yeah. Of course, some of my patients have come to me and it's something which needs a lot of counselling around. I've had young women come to see me you know, in their 20s who have said, I've got really heavy periods. I know that I don't want a family in the future and I just need a referral to see a gynaecologist because I am hell-bent on having a hysterectomy. And so generally, as a GP, I would really want to explore with a woman all the other options first because a hysterectomy is irreversible. And while someone might be very sure that they don't want children, there are also some real medical risks and surgical risks with a hysterectomy. So if there are more conservative steps that we can trial first, really it would be most sensible for us to do that for patient's benefit. But of course, it's something that she could discuss further with her gynecologist. Yeah. So definitely when we talk about any operation, we talk about risk and benefits both. And when the benefits are more than risk, then only we suggest to go for operation. So hysterectomy we consider as a major operation. Mm. So even if we take all precautions and we think that in majority of patients, operation is quite straightforward and recovery is really good, we're always worried about the risk of having more bleeding than expected and rarely requiring blood transfusion. Or we are worried about the wound infection and requiring antibiotics and things. And hospital stay, scar and recovery, then nausea vomiting, these are like a common, a common complications. But some of the very rare but more serious complications we get worried about is injury to any surrounding organs like bowel or bladder. Mm -hmm. So like most patients, these are rare complications and most patients don't have any complications, but we do not want to do surgery if it is not needed mm -hmm. and definitely worth exploring all other options. And I think that's a really nice summary of the common um, management options for heavy periods, depending on the cause. And so we always want to look into heavy periods 
we should be looking for the underlying cause. And if it's a reversible thing like underactive thyroid, we should manage that. We want to try to manage it with the most simple steps as possible. So often that might be trialing something like Ponstan, an anti-inflammatory, or tranexamic acid, a medication that helps the blood clot more effectively. And then maybe exploring some of the hormonal paths, such as the pill or the marina. But that there are a variety of different operations that can be really useful. And so definitely something to come and talk to your general practitioner or to talk to a gynecologist about and to find what might be suitable for you. So I think that's where we'll leave it today. So please rate and review and subscribe. And if you have questions, please message us on our Instagram, Full Circle Podcast, or email us at fullcirclewomenshealthpodcast at gmail.com. And we're looking forward and going through some more common women's health issues with you in future episodes. Mm-hmm.